0: Hello and welcome to Resident Advisors Exchange, our series of conversations with the artists, labels, and promoters who are shaping the electronic music landscape. I'm Will Lynch, and I'm the Associate Editor of Resident Advisor. David Mufong, or Move D as you might know him, is a cult favorite in house music, and it's not hard to see why. His DJ style is fun-loving but classy, as perfect for a house party as it is for a festival. His productions, meanwhile, are more subtle and spaced out, earning him respect among synth nerds and techno connoisseurs, and he's always played very well with others, from his early joint efforts with the late Pete Namlook, to his current work with Juju and Jorda, Ash's Magic Mountain High. By now, Mufong has been doing his thing for more than 20 years. During a recent stopover in Berlin, he shared some of the perspective he picked up along the way and spoke at length about a musical friendship that's influenced him deeply. If I'm not mistaken, uh, this year, 2014, is kind of the 20th year of Move D. Is that right? Yeah, well, I think um, I have heard some stuff
1: before that, like 93, and then some white label stuff even before that, which didn't really say Move D on it. But like the name i think was introduced actually i think the first release on the move d might have been like 92 on sync with another guy but like Kunststoff was in 1994 so that's 20 years ahead. yeah that's the one that i was yeah thinking yeah of, I guess. Uh, it's like the first album and shit, that's 20 years ago <laughs> exactly
0: um do you feel like move d is something different now from what it was back then no No, I think maybe people feel that way, but
1: I know I'm not. I'm still the same person. I still very much like the same music 20 years later. I mean, there's always new stuff coming in that I also like, and maybe the preferences in the old stuff, they're slightly shifting. Maybe I was more into breakbeat or um, techno even, at times in the nineties, but house was always there, but like it got more important pretty much as a reaction to what was going on in the outside world with the minimal techno. I was kind of thirsty for some more emotional (laughs) content. And I really think one of the main problems about techno parties is DJs don't pay enough attention to the girls (laughs) and if they play for boys, I, I'm not really a big fan of sausage parties in, in that respect. So um, I think it's kind of a good idea to to look after the girls. If they're happy, the boys will be happy, even if the music could be a bit harder or whatever for their liking.
0: Yeah, I guess um, to me, I feel like um, Move D as like a DJ is uh, most people would sort of think of like... Um, sort of fun-loving house, um, like you kind of a house party vibe. But um, if you look back at uh, your records over all those years, it really kind of veers towards spacey, um, psychedelic, chilled out stuff. But I think that was always
1: two pairs of shoes, like my production and my DJing. And I think it's a totally different approach as well. As a DJ, I think you're a service to the people. You get paid to make them have a good time. So yes, I want to be fun for everyone and most entertaining without being too stupid, of course. But um, I think um, you really have to play for the people and then you can maybe feed them something they wouldn't expect and they also digest it well. But only if you approach it like this, if you go there with your set mind about your music, that is like cool and you just play this and you don't pay attention to the floor it's not working out i see this a lot with producers mainly when they start djing because they have their opinion about music and it may be great but doesn't work if they don't interact with the people and sometimes you have to take a little detour then you can play what you actually want to play much better and um yeah and the production i think it's it's the opposite you should not listen to anything and anyone and that's why i think especially like live pas and clubs are very risky um the risk is to that you compromise your style to make things work and um yeah and I think it can have a negative impact you know you you do more formulated stuff and that's why I'm so fond of the magic mountain high because by the nature of the project we kind of avoid these traps to some extent I mean we still know like a drum roll probably will work <laughs> if nothing else is at hand uh, to to put some whatever energy but that w- would be like cheesy and um cheap and stuff that we did a lot more in the beginning when we really didn't know what else we could do.
0: As a producer, do you feel like um, is your heart kind of more in the like psychedelic stuff that you do with Magic Mountain High or um, do you still really get a kick out of making, you know, club tunes?
1: Yeah, it was always like fascinating me, good club tunes, because if if I really like them, I think they stand as good music. And um, so it's like a good um, game of chess or whatever. It's something really smart about it, even though it's so stripped. So I think it's still like a good challenge. But um, I mean, I don't listen to, to dance music or electronic music even at home. And I never really did. I never had two timetables at home. I never practiced. So I deal with the music when I buy records or when I'm out and I'm listening to other people or I listen to some sets online maybe sometimes but usually I really don't and I'm trying to get the inspiration from whatever other sources I think this is also like connected. A, it's tiring with the DJ business, and I don't even want to know what everybody else is playing. And I would never ever bother to check out the Beatport top forty because there's probably nothing in there I ever would like. So, trying to avoid this, and I'm um, trying to not oversaturate saturate myself with this kind of music. And I, I, in the end, I think it belongs in the club, and a really outstanding tune will work outside the club but usually they they're meant to be for the club and that's where they work and not at home so at home i'm listening to other things and i think it's a a lot more interesting to get your input from fela kuti or serge gansburg and translate this into whatever you're doing in electronic rather than listening to whatever the latest atom heart or some smart music which is contemporary because, um, that's also having a negative effect. You know, if I hear there's people out there and they're already doing this great stuff, it kind of takes the momentum or the point. And I think in that respect, it was so much easier 20 years ago because then techno was kind of only like working in this kind of sven Fed style or the UK based style, but, but the, genres were very strict and separated and there were a lot of like in-betweens that hadn't been explored so well so like making kunststoff in 1994 was kind of obvious for me i thought like you got this detroit and you got this more elegant kind of black or soulful but also maybe a bit more tripped out more ambient more listening and it was something new at that point. And I think that's why people still rate it. And, um, nowadays it's so much harder. You find everything, all kinds of combinations, everything seems to be explored already. So the more I kind of expose myself to what's going on, the less I feel it's necessary to even do anything. And maybe another reason for the Magic Mountain High thing and why I'm really excited about it because I don't feel anybody really does this. They talk about like using life and blah, blah, hardware. and But after all, it's just like tracks they play and they know exactly what's happening. And sometimes it's great because something is happening and we, when improvising, sometimes get into a deadlock for a while. But I think even this kind of translates to the audience and gives it a special dynamic. They can all see how we're struggling and our faces and everyone's kind of suffering. And then if it happens, it really happens. And it's a good surprise for all of us. And I think it really kind of works in the club sometimes if the people are open enough. That's something um, I'm really fond of and something I always cared about. I mean, it's not really point in like, recreating stuff that has been done recently or even 20 years ago and that's maybe also my um my thoughts about some of the stuff which is kind of huge now i think it's really great but um sometimes i wonder if they actually do enough to to really justify the big hype because i know music from 20 years ago that's so much like it sometimes it's overwhelming i don't want to drop names but you all get the idea especially if you're 35 plus and that kind of puts a little i mean it's much better if someone comes up like space dimension controller or floating points they're really doing their own thing and make it somehow work in the club or not or finding their niche is so much cooler i think than like over perfectionizing recipes that have been around on the other hand who doesn't want to be who doesn't want to make a a track that sounds like a real larry heard from whenever it's fair enough if you put your soul, if you just don't mime it too much. I think if you if you have that in mind and you add your own personality, you're already somewhere else. So even if I try to think of someone, in the end I can always hear my shit, which is maybe a good thing because that means I have some kind of a signature or a trademark. But, but on the other hand, sometimes I think it's frustrating. I would like to break out and do more radical stuff. So mm. another point for magic mountain
0: high. Yeah. I mean, um, I think in a way you're lucky because you have these outlets for that, for the sort of, you know, freaky, um, yeah. not so clubby stuff, Yeah. but, um, and, you have some good opportunities to perform that stuff, but like in a perfect world. Which
1: is new. And like, as we said before, I've always had these two things running next to each other parallel. And like the discrepancy was much more obvious in the nineties where I was producing a lot more chilled out stuff and played probably a lot harder than I would play now. So people knowing me as a dj would not know about my production and the other way around and i think it's a bit better aligned these days i mean a workshop or a usuri record i could play it in my set and um that's actually something new and it feels kind of right but um yeah i i don't want to abuse my sets to for the self-promotion and i would never chart my own record and this kind of stuff so um, it's a nice buy effect, but it's not what I'm really trying to do really hard. I think it, it also gives me a lot of freedom, you know. I can mess up one thing. Maybe I'm not hip as a DJ anymore next year, but I know I got people who follow my production for 20 years and they won't stop overnight and, um, and a bit the other way around as well, because like in the nineties I was making music in the first place and that was my main income and gigging was just like the extra. It was fun and um, not so well paid also and totally changed. And these days you make records to get bookings and make money that way because you were not making money with the records. And I think this transition would have been a lot harder if I was only a DJ or only a producer, it kind of helps.
0: Have to two. If uh, in like an ideal situation, would you like to do or would you like to have things like Magic Mountain High kind of play a, a bigger role in, um, you know, in kind of your week to week gigging schedule?
1: Well it fluctuates. We already played twice this year and it's only the beginning of February so we are actually playing quite often and it's always it's a lot of like logistic stress like getting the gear there setting it up when you come home something is broken and all these so I I don't think I could do it as regularly as the DJing, where I can play three gigs a weekend and it's still not really stressing me out and um yeah maybe it's 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 a lot harder i mean the DJing to me never really was work and it still isn't and i'm not bored by it so it's it's great i can do it anytime it's fun if the system and the needles and the turntables which is not always a given if that's all fine I could even enjoy myself if there's only five people or whatever, if, if I got a good sound and I play to myself, or whatever, or to these five people. So that's um, easier. And, and the live playing, as much as I love it, it's a lot more stressful. There's no real smiling or dancing. There's <laughs> a lot of sweating and struggling with it, but it makes it really interesting as well. I think the balance is actually quite cool as it is. And I'm glad if we can just go on like this. I don't want to be like bigger or playing bigger festivals, bigger stages, because the chances people will understand there will really decrease radically. I think we're really meant to be like in small menus, like 150, 200, 250. I mean, we played to 500 or even 1500 in Paris. It was off the hook, but that's like... um, everything has to be right and it, in that case it was at, uh, it was at la machine with the sonotone guys sonotone and they were doing a brilliant warm-up like one i haven't heard in ages perfect beautiful and then it was casem moss with uh, mix mop with his partner and um, i even prefer this over the castle moss solo because it's a little more soulful there's more music to it it's not so much like just on the drums. That was great, and it was us, Magic Mountain High Life, and then I was DJing back to back with just Ed, so the whole night was kind of centered around something that I could relate to, and uh, you could never predict how full it gets. Uh, it was really full. It was great, and people were really with it. But that's really lucky. I would usually say it's it's more for smaller places, and it's fine like this.
0: Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, I was wondering, even just with the DJing, um, uh, for the time- thing, basically,
1: like, I'm not really thrilled to play to 10,000 whatever I've done this and it can be fun, but the uh, people turn into a faceless mass, you know, and it's no real way of relating. You can, you can kind of guess if the energy is higher or lower in the room, but it's really hard to make out like a real connection with anyone. But if you're playing like to free rotation size of a club, at least like the the people in the front, like 50, 80 faces, you know them and you can see the reaction much better and they can come to you and they can talk to you. I fucking hate DJ stages wherever, if it's big or small, but especially if it's a kind of a small place, it's so ridiculous, like output and where spoke at, but I think they changed the setup, but I thought it was most ridiculous. Like it was so up high. You could hardly see the DJ at all. And, um, it's, after all it's a small club and I don't think, that's the way it has to be like panorama bar or whatever way same level and people can fuck you out that's
0: <laughs> part of the deal. Yeah. yeah that's I think that kind of speaks to your style though just yeah. sort of like a cozy like intimate house party thing yeah that's how yeah. I feel about yeah. it you know? yeah like if you were banging out uh, techno the super high podium might make sense you know the fabric mix is supposedly kind of inspired by playing it free rotation um, <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, I see that line reoccurring <laughs> now and what I really meant was like it, the challenge was a bit similar to playing a set at free rotation in terms of the length. Okay, yeah. Like one hour 15 is what you get at free rotation and there you take it from another DJ and you're not necessarily ending the night so it's just a fragment of of a night whereas like fabric mix or any dj mix kind of includes like a beginning and an outro which makes it even harder but that was mainly the similarity of course since free rotation is probably the highlight of the year to me and most other people playing there as a resident, it's always a reference and it's always in your mind but um it's not really like I was not trying to recreate what I would do at free rotation. If I think of free rotation, chances are much higher that that there would be a tune by FX twin or something, which is further out. than I went on the fabric mix. It's 15 tracks or one hour 15 and you try to somewhat stay within some kind of boundaries although i think like the last three the last 20 minutes are definitely like departing to some other
0: territories but um i know fruition is as he said it's kind of like a spiritual home or something like for you and like a lot of other people yeah um why do you think it has that kind of effect i think first of all or
1: whenever there's a good party it's down to the people and this includes the promoter the security and the ravers and the all the other stuff everything has to be right then also the whole setting the location plays a role and all these are kind of maximum accomplished every rotation it's a super nice setting and like that the welsh bounces it they look really scary and it takes you a while to get used to them but once you understand they're really cool i think and it's it's such a cool vibe there and i think stevio does a great great job and you can tell he does it with a real heart for this idea more than it is a business or anything. He, it would be easy for him to make it bigger and make more money, but he doesn't. And I think that's so cool. It's kind of sad to watch sometimes how hard it is for people to get a ticket and it makes gives it this kind of stale taste of like being something super exclusive, but it isn't really, it's just a matter of how organized you are. If you, decide you want to go this year and you know it today you will get a ticket it's only a problem for the, those people that think oh i'm not just not sure maybe i'm going to block maybe i'm going this or that and then they wait for too long and then at some point of course it's too late and then they're all really disappointed but i really like the the, the small size and it's amazing like i had a friend with a new iphone 4 when they were just new And she basically left it wherever she sat down, like four times a day. (laughs) It would always be at the reception. People kept taking it back. It's amazing. I mean, where on earth do you find this? I mean, maybe in Japan. I once was sitting in Shibuya getting a quick bite and onigiri outside the club. And I had um, Neil Rome's uh, laptop, the guy from Voices uh, from the Lake, and um, I was watching the guy next to me and I was thinking, ah, oh, he looks a bit shady. I better make sure he's not nicking my laptop or Neil's laptop. And then I go inside to to the party and this guy comes after me and I think, what the fuck does he want? And he brings my laptop or Neil's laptop and I just let it, left it there. <laughs> <laughs> and it really kinda, I don't know, it really had an impact. I, a moral one, or whatever the one guy that I was doubting, he was actually helping me out, you know. And I would have been so fucked and embarrassed if I lost it because it wasn't even mine and all the data on it,
0: it would have been terrible. It took me years to confess to him <laughs> what had happened, you know. Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of um, I heard this uh quote that like at a really good um party or uh, festival or rave, whatever, um, kind of the way you can tell it's a really special one is when the default like behavior between people is just total like kindness and, yeah. you know, friendliness. And um, yeah, that's something for sure. You see it for irritation, but the tough thing You is,
1: see it at other festivals too, but I think um, one more thing uh, uh, apart from kindness is um, how well they take care of their environment. If they pick up their shit, their dirt or if they don't. And uh, I think that's also pretty amazing. Like after free rotation, it doesn't look like a war zone or anything. It's amazing. But I've seen like in general, I must say festival culture, not so much talking about the ones in Croatia, they're a bit over commercialized, but like the ones in Germany or in Britain, usually it's a top crowd and people are really concerned and it's super cool. And it's really reassuring to be dealing in this kind of field of people. And likewise with the kind of people I get when I play. That's something I sometimes say to myself, I gotta be doing something right because I'm playing for the sweetest promoters, for the sweetest people on earth. I'm I'm telling you really. And, and it's, um, especially now where I'm a bit more in the focus and um, more attention, more demand. It's really hard to filter out the good stuff from the bad stuff. And like, I remember Fred P, good friend of mine, when he had his kind of breakthrough, whatever, in that small cosmos, and he started playing bigger gigs. called me and he said like i don't know i i'm having a bad run the last three parties i played for i don't know seven thousand with nina kravitz and whatever i could not relate to people and i felt people couldn't relate to what i was doing and he was really unhappy and he probably made the most money he ever made so i'm totally aware of the fact that the higher fee doesn't correlate with the better party it's just it's more the opposite you know the more posh the more money is involved the more likely the guy picks you up in a jack or something from the airport or even a ferrari then you already think like oh where am i (laughs) where have i landed and what's this guy and what am i facing so it's really it's you have to be aware you cannot like kind of just go for the fee and it's something I really want to avoid
0: yeah that seems like kind of a um, it's very wise lesson yeah, yeah. Like coming from. And
1: also I think all this kind of big money business, it's very um, volatile or whatever you do it and then you hit one season and then you kind of burn your name and small promoters don't even want you anymore they, or they think you're just too expensive they don't dare asking you you can really burn bridges like this i i didn't i'm yeah i'm very concerned about staying real staying underground whatever i mean sounds a bit tacky but i actually do mean it and i've met people they they're different like nina she was totally blatant saying fuck underground i want to make it big time and um it's fine so um It's fine. I respect that, but
0: probably the guys who are my favorites, they look at things a little differently. (laughs) Well, that's also probably, you kind of just touched on it, but that's probably part of why um, you've been able to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I think so
1: too. Yeah. I think that's essentially what It's the case for anyone, even fucking Dieter Boland. I think he's so successful because he fucking believes in what he's doing. He's not faking something. He thinks he's got the hot shit. And and, um, that's something that radiates through his personality. People take him as being real. And I think he is in his cosmos. And, um, yeah, people will know. And... um, And I think that's the most important, and if you just like, as we say, um, put your flag into the wind, and wherever, whichever way the wind blows is where you go, it probably won't work. And I think people who are even more iconic and more important than myself, they're even more strict in, in this, like Theo or whatever, or Alex, they really have their... And it touches again that point, you're either a DJ or a producer. I think it's very rare that a person is really good at both at the same time. I think usually they're either a good DJ or a good producer. And um, yeah, obviously Theo is a great producer. But... but <laughs> I mean, to me he's a good DJ, but, but only... Yeah, it's not it's not really mass compatible. It's it's different with, with Alex, I'm really surprised. I've heard him play years mm. ago at o- Omar S. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, the DJing is okay, but the production obviously was great. And and he turned out to be a pretty badass DJ. Really impressed. Like he goes places where I wouldn't even go, like Robin S. Show Me Love, but he gets away with it and it's such a nice energy and if he plays techno for one hour and then he goes into this kind of really cheesy soothing nice though house it's amazing to watch the place how faces open up and you get like all the emotion i think he's really talented alex also as a dj he makes that distinction as well it's either his music and the stuff of thought or whatever are the joyful stuff for everyone. And he plays with it and I'm sure he's totally aware of it. And, um, so he has both qualities. He's a great DJ. He's becoming a great DJ and he's a great producer always has been.
0: This whole thing with, uh, not getting too tempted by like the bigger fees or not Mm -hmm. trying to, you know, break out too much. Um, do you think in a way like people like you and ORS um, and stuff are, are sort of like lucky to have been able to do that or, you know, do you think it's maybe harder um, for, you know, basically you think that there, there's a matter of just um, chance and ending up in a position where you can, you know, play it that way. I think it's many
1: factors. There's definitely is um, involved. And I've, I always knew about great people and, people haven't heard of them and i wonder why is that because um other people they can make it and uh, i think it has to do with luck but also probably how compatible your personality is and i've seen some guys they were really great and hyped in the beginning but then they've been such assholes the, kind of, the word kind of spreads, it can really ruin things. And it's about being true. You know, if you get give fake smiles or no smiles to people, it doesn't really work. So I think you have to be born to do this in a way. And then I would consider all of us in this business, making money, being able to sustain ourselves with, with the stuff that we actually love the most, We're totally gifted, you know, like a priest who really believes in God or something or a doctor who really wants to cure people. I mean, it's fulfillment and I'm very grateful. And no, there is no real recipe, but definitely I think like I'm so happy with what I got. I'm totally happy and I wouldn't want to be number one in any chart or whatever because once you're there you can only go down and people start hating you just for the fact you're number one i mean it's like dixon this year or whoever it was last year i wouldn't want to be in their shoes it's much nicer to linger around but be in there i'm really proud to be in there like for i don't know five years now in a row or whatever i've seen people come in and leaving and there's a lot of change in this and this gives me a lot of like comfort and uh, gratification, whatever. I'm really thankful. It's great.
0: Um, do you feel like kind of what you're part of is, uh, or basically, I would imagine that um, that kind of like the big league or whatever is maybe more of like a business and an industry. And I sort of picture your world to still be a business, but also be more of like a legitimate um, community of people. Yeah. Um, yes. I would
1: subscribe that but even like in the big league i would differentiate their their guys they seem to be about business and i have respect for them like richie or whatever and i've even known him for 20 years and watched him change and stay the same at the same time over the period of time and um it's fine, you know, but then there's people like Ricardo, and he's so close with Richie. But I also know him since we were like 20 or something. Not close friends, but we're coming from the same area. So we played as nobodies at the same parties. And I believe he still got it. I mean, maybe he's burning a bit too hot or whatever, but I think he still, I mean, he happened to be big league but he just kind of stumbled in there. I don't think it was like a master plan and it wasn't like something contrived. It just happened naturally and he always stayed true to himself. So I respect him even more maybe. Mm-hmm. And so I think you, even in the big league, you find people who are really doing it from their heart and the fact they're making shit loads of money is just a buy effect it's not the the actual reason why they do why they do it you even find it with the, all these like rock stars i mean why the fucking rolling stones have to do this to themselves like touring when you're 70 you know it can't be fun really or it has to be hard work and they still do it and they don't need the money they don't need more popularity they don't need to do this and um somehow i i respect them for this you know it kind of proves they're real. And it's not like someone like Tina Turner or whoever you think might think, okay, it's the fifth farewell tour and now she's doing it again, probably she needs money again, you know, that's immediately what you think. But you would never think this about the Rolling Stones and so many other of the old, really saturated people. And that's fascinating. And it's probably what keeps them alive. I guess if they stop touring, they're all going to die or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, could you see yourself um, like, you know, giving up your current lifestyle at any point, like not DJing or you know, focusing on just production, for instance?
1: Well, I mean, to shift the emphasis a little bit, I'm trying to do it already. But um, no, I'd, I never felt like I'm really fed up with this and I want to stop. And, um, I think as a job, DJing is better than being a producer because if you, if production is your only way of income, it turns to be into a, into a job. And like good friends of mine, they have a real kind of good discipline and they go to the studio every morning at 9.30 and they sit there till five, but most days nothing happens and they just interneting and phoning and blah, blah, but they feel they have to go to their work and do this. And it's maybe not always fertile or productive. And I, I kind of like being hungry for the studio and not being there all the time. And, um, like as a regular thing, I think the DJing is much more friendly and then, then the production and just about like the, the emphasis, I would like to shift it a little bit, but other than that, I want to still be playing with
0: 72. You said earlier that even three gigs a weekend wouldn't stress you out. Um, like I know like probably the gigs themselves are okay, but even yeah. just the jumping around doesn't stress you out.
1: Not so much. I mean, if I look at other guys, and I know how they suffer, I must say I'm really lucky like that. I I don't mind like even going to Australia on my own for like, a period of two weeks or something it's not a long time and other people do this backpacking and these are the people I admire they have no money they have no reference they can't show up somewhere and say hey it's me and everybody gets excited <laughs> but they just have to fight their way through I'm far away from them I'm doing this kind of yeah it's it's all I mean it's great come on How could you deny it, you know? You arrive somewhere, people are really happy, and you get big smiles, and we've been waiting for you, and all this, is lovely. I mean, you have to be a real fool and really arrogant to not be aware of this. And the by effect of, like, traveling, and of course, like, individual things, sometimes you don't get your pay, or it's a really bad party, or whatever, this shit might happen, but the ratio is very low. I mean, I think in all these years, I think I had two shows where I actually got no pay and um, and maybe about 20 or 30, which is also not much where I said, because it really wasn't happening where I said, it's okay. Just give me what you got or something, you know, and I would always be into this, but I fucking hate it if they just ran away and <laughs> didn't even know how to get home from the club or something. <laughs> That's not cool, <laughs> but yeah, we t- just touched the, the topic of like what to do when I'm 70. And I must say, I have to bring this up one more time. The whole tragedy about Pete Namlook I was so much like looking forward to do this with him. I thought that we would be much better probably once we're that old. And, um, yeah, I was so shocked when he passed. It really kind of turned my whole world around I never had anything like written or signed with him I took for granted he would be there longer than I would because he was living healthy I think as far as I know yeah a real terrible loss and like in all the music we've done not everything is really great especially if you have this high output and there were things that i wasn't really happy with when we did them but now after he's gone i i hear it all with new ears and i'm really grateful for everything for every cheesy string or every tacky vocal he put in there because that's what he left for me and others and i really yeah
0: so sad it's so sad how did that um, relationship start you and pete
1: not too easy actually because we were rivals you know we were having the same idea of like making ambient albums at the same time we both released our first album in 92 for him it was silence for me it was earth to infinity with my deep space network partner so there was a lot of elbows in the beginning but when once it was clear that Fox was really taking off and like he was he was super hot for a while people were writing about him like big double pages in the london times even like in the sunday newspaper and it was saying the label everybody dies to be on and that's pretty much how it was and um, I think that gave him a lot of um, self esteem, self awareness and made it easier not to see a rival in me anymore and um, so eventually we became friends but like my first releases were on facts, but not with him. It, it took a while, and I remember we we were clashing in the beginning, and maybe that was one thing about him. He was very outspoken in his belief, and he would also get pretty upset and angry, and maybe a little bit too much. I wonder if that's what killed him in the end—that he was too. Cholerical, we say, you know, if you're really hot tempered and you can see, you could almost see his head exploding sometimes when he yelled at someone at the phone.
0: It's definitely not healthy. But, um, yeah. What made it work so well? Um, The sort of like uh, creative chemistry between you two. I think, first of all,
1: with every, with most people that you work with, in the back of your head, you think, is he okay with that? Am I too cheesy? Like with the guys with Juju and Jordis, always I think all they want to do is drop like sonic bombs and then I'm there with my cheese and can they can they accept it? Is it fine? You know, and it is, with Pete, I wouldn't have to worry about anything because he was like, a, Obviously, he was so eclectic and into everything, and he was giving me total control. Like, out of the 26 albums, I think 23 we did at my place, and we were jamming for a couple of hours. Then he left and left me with the material to edit it down. And whatever I did to it, he never questioned anything. He never said, what did you do to my nice strings? you?" chop them out all the way, fucking hate you for that, never, you know, I was waiting for something like this to happen, never. So he was always, it was a very, um, yeah, easy going in that respect. And I had it with, with some other people as well, where there's just a blind understanding and you just work. And I, as I said before, I did have my reservations about stuff. He was maybe contributing, but he was really easy going in in accepting when not using it or something. And, um, there was other stuff that I also wasn't happy about. And namely like cool funk three, where there's a lot about like a lot, of, uh, some of the albums we did, they, are related to something that was happening in his life, we did one the day his old man died, gig in the sky, and we did one um, the cool three. Be aware um, when he just had a major breakup, and like the whole thing is reflecting on it, and he's talking to her in his German English whatever, and. It sounded so wrong, but I knew he had to do it. And uh, so that was the time where I couldn't say, please don't leave that out. We left it in and I just kind of, yeah. People were freaking out on the fax list. <laughs> what a phenomena though. Have you ever heard or seen the fax list? I think it probably died, but it was so active. It was a big blog on Hyperial in in the 90s, and so many people, and they were so smart about stuff and guessing who's doing what on what album, sometimes really wrong, but so funny, I mean, how much of a scene of a community there was. And I think, yeah, I'm afraid he wasn't really happy in the later years because he wasn't doing well or not as well as he was in the nineties. And I think that's always hard to accept.
0: You mean in terms of his music?
1: Yeah. And the whole, the label, like, he had limitations of two or even 3000 in the good years. And, um, it was down to 500 and he was talking about going down to 300 even. And that's like a 10th then of the numbers he did have and uh, that must hurt and apart from being an amazing musician he was one of the better or best guitarists i ever met he was playing in a duo with werner Sagmeister, maybe germany's premier acoustic jazz guitarist and they were playing in a duo so he was really slick on the guitar and um <clears throat> that was one part, then he was a banker, so he had the knowledge to run a business and um, observing numbers and growing down didn't make him happy, but I always loved, I was puzzled why a guy who's such a virtuous guitarist decides to put it away and just play the keyboards and his keyboard playing was quite the opposite you could tell he's totally self-taught he had like awkward looking hands and wasn't really a good player at all and he knew it and but he said it's not what it's about if i pick up the guitar my fingers play out of a routine i don't even think about it and it's already been played and i want to avoid this i want to play notes because i want to play that note and really listening to to myself, listen to myself, while I'm playing, while I'm playing. And it totally made sense. And uh, I super respected him for that. And I think, like, talking about music in general, that's always a way I try to look at it, not only to comfort myself, because I never got really versatile on any instrument, but because it's my true belief that there are hundreds of trumpeters who are technically so much better than Miles Davis, but he still was the one who took jazz from bebop to electric seventies, to even hip hop and techno stuff in the end. is super amazing, but it was never about like the amount of notes he plays like Chick Corea, for as an opposite. Example, so I always like the guys who listen to the notes they're playing. So this explanation totally makes sense to me that Pete gave.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of incredible, um, to consider the fact that he's a guitarist and, um, also into electronic music and you guys and all these albums together. I mean, um, I guess it really can't be understated how influential all that must've been on you. Yeah.
1: It was, I mean, not so much his music, some of his, like um, the Astrogator, Life at the Milkwake, one of the first ones. I think that's pretty sensational because he rocks it all out of the VCS3, the little synth in a briefcase, two of them. Uh, That was real life playing, pretty much like Magic Mountain High, just the single guy. So I think he's unequaled in that to this day. Not even Aphex or anyone I know was this radical in his approach, you know, going somewhere and it was like he was hype, it was full at Markvake and then you just start doing your stuff. So I was very impressed by him but like the music and as I said the beginning was a bit rough and then I thought um of course, I had to think we're better than him or Mil Plateau or different at least. But yeah, it turned into a real friendship, but it took some time. I mean, he wasn't the guy he, first of all, he wasn't the guy who had friends. I I consider myself after Uwe, probably after Adam Hart, probably one of his best friends, maybe Andre, who was doing, maybe you know him. He lives in Berlin now, yeah. the Australian guy. Mm. I think he... Was a good friend, a close friend in the last couple of years, but there weren't many, so he is totally different from what I am because I have friends wherever I go and I'm serious. I really kind of connect with people, and it's easy for me, and it's much harder for him, it always was, so it took a while.